continue in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. Chapter 19 is one of the the strongest pro-family chapters in the Bible. Let's take a read. Uh, Well, we're going to skip a little bit. Uh, It starts off with divorce. Um, We all kind of have a general idea that divorce isn't a good idea, and Jesus really doubles down on it. Um, We'll start at verse 7. They, meaning the disciples, asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because, why? Because they nag too much? Because it's time for an upgrade? Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. And so it's a condition of the heart. And so when your heart is hard, you've moved yourself out of relationship and into religion. So you get the law tacked onto you. And that's no fun. And then he says one of the most profound things in all Scripture. It is one of the strongest points in marriage. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between husband and wife, is it better not to marry? And then, of course, he also talks about the one flesh idea. The two shall become one flesh. So he deviated away from God's original plan that the two shall become one flesh. Is it heart issue? It is the hardness of the heart. And then the disciples ask the very same question that every single married person on the planet has asked. Is it better that I've never married at all? How, is, how can we actually pull this off? It seems literally impossible to do this thing. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but those of you whom it has been given... Get ready. This got to pay attention to this. I have never really looked at this verse before until this week. It's just something that I don't really, I don't know. It seems weird, so I just skimmed it. But it is profound and is probably the center point for our message today. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can, can accept this should. Then he talks about kids. So again, we see another value of kids coming by. He says, bring the little children unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 16 is the rich young ruler. Do you know this story? It's really cool. Let me hit it real quick. Now there came a man up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. And if you want eternal life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man replied. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we're getting into some very strong uh, family values here. Honor your mother and father. And so he's quoting what? Do you guys, what is he quoting here? He's he's quoting the Ten Commandments, but he only gets to six. Because I think the guy cuts him off. 
I think he cuts him off. The young ruler says, I've kept all, like, dude, I got it. Jesus, I get it. I got it. Don't, you know, don't worry. I, I know all the Ten Commandments. Don't go any further. I've kept them all. But what do I still lack? I've crossed my T's. I've dotted my I's. I've got my act together. My 401k is solid. I'm a ruler. I'm a rich, young ruler. I know the law inside out. I have everything that everybody could possibly want inside of this world. Uh, what is it that I lack? And Jesus answered. This is not fun stuff, by the way. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be, if you want to be made whole, if you want to be secure in who you are, if you want to find out who you really are, what's perfect? Seeking perfection. If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Oh my goodness. Sell it all, folks. If you want to be perfect, sell it all. I'm just asking for 10%. I'd, I'd be happy with 10%. That's actually like the law. I mean, it's the biblical law, tithing, 10%. But Jesus doesn't want you just to tithe. He wants it all. And this is, what, this is what was required of this guy. Like, I think Jesus was being literal because he says, go and sell everything and come and follow me. I mean, the guy received it as being literal and not figuratively. He walked away, and he was sad because he had a lot of wealth. All right. Now, when, oh, excuse me, I'm going to lost my place. Okay, and then we get the famous verse where Jesus says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a heavy saying. And then when the disciples heard this, they were like, that's a hard saying. The disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, who can be saved? Like, not only can we figure out this marriage thing, not only can we just, we can't figure out this family thing, but like, who can even be saved? If this guy can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then, Jesus, and then Peter answered him, we have done everything to follow you. We've given it away. We've actually, we've actually taken this leap of faith, this step of faith. We've sacrificed everything for you. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, maybe underline that, the renewal of all things, which the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's cool. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. What? thought this was a pro-family chapter. And now Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, if you want a hundred times more blessings, leave your wife. I'm so confused. Pastor Jones, we're tag teaming. It's all yours. It's a great way to tag me in. <laughs> How you guys doing? All right. Mind if we pray one more time for my sake? 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I ask you to just speak through me. Let it be your word, not in your name. Amen. All right, so if you can remember when you're a, a kid, probably a teenager at this time, were there ever moments that you were with your family and you looked at your parents and they did something that you didn't like and you vowed, I will never do what you did to me when I had my own kids. Any, does that resonate? Yeah, okay, I see some heads nodding. Okay, well, it was 1980-something, and I'm riding my bike, and I'm riding it in the street, because that's what you do in the 80s. There's no rules, and you're riding it around, and, and you do two things as a young man with a bike. You jump off a steep ramp that are maybe like less than a foot tall, or you do like, you do skid marks, like on the, on, the, on the sidewalk or in the street. And I can remember, I'm riding my bike as fast as I can, and I'm going to do like the sweetest skid mark and just be cool because, you know, you're like, turn around. And you just want to impress your friends. You want to impress everybody. And I do that, and somehow I fall. I fall. To this day, I cannot remember how I fell. I just remember trying to turn the last minute and just falling, and then my leg just instantly hurting. I screamed. Cried, I yelled, I wailed, and my friend's eyes got all big because they're like wondering why I'm not getting up. And one of my friends takes off down to my house, who's about three houses down, to get my my family. And then I don't know, it seemed like forever. Uh, I see my dad turn the corner, and I'm like, oh, why didn't you get my mom? Where's my mom? <laughs> and so my dad comes around the corner, and my dad, he is this blue collar machinist. His his hands were always, actually, they still are rough and cut from the work that he did. He spends his weeks working, he spends his weekends working on his yard or working in the garage and tinkering with things. And he always had his keys taped to his, or like hooked to his side. And it was like when he walked, it was like that western legend with the spurs going. You could hear it. And he just, no like, <gasps> no like, none of that. It's just, son, get up. Son, get up. I try. I can't, Dad. Son, get up. Now he's getting closer. And as he's getting closer, that frustration in his voice is getting louder. Son, you need to get up. I'm like, Dad, I can't. Like, okay, I'll try. Nope, can't do it, Dad. It hurts so much. And then, and then Dad, my, you know, I think back, like, what I remember is that he picked me up with one hand and put me on the bike. It's probably not how it happened, but um, he puts me on the bike. He says, Son, you fall off your bike. You got to get up, which is a Im perfect, important fatherly lesson, right? He doesn't want me to get scared of ever riding a bike again. So he puts me on that bike. He says, son, you got to ride your bike. And I'm knowing, like, I can't. So I said, okay, Dad, I'll do it. Now, by the grace of God, I live on a cul-de-sac, and my street had this incline. So I knew if I just push off, I can coast this bike down to my house. So I push off. I start going, and I don't know how far I got before I realized, oh, wait, yeah, I don't have brakes. I have the back pedal brakes, so I got to use both my feet to stop. So I'm coasting, knowing now I don't have a way to stop this bike. And I'm my dad's truck, and our mailbox pole, and in the middle was this area where I could be like, okay, if I could just hit the grass, grass will slow me down. I'll roll on the opposite side. It will be cool. I've done it, right? So I'm going. I'm concentrating on that grass. 
I'm going. I don't know how it happened, but I veered and smacked right back in the back of my, back of my dad's truck. And all of a sudden, he goes, what are you doing? What would you do to my truck? And it was like the smallest of dents. And I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I couldn't stop the bike. He goes, use the brakes. By that time, he's frustrated. He picks me up, takes me to the house, puts me on the couch. So I vowed that I would never let my kids ride their bikes home with a hurt leg. And I would encourage you to keep me accountable on that. Um, and I'll never do that. So lesson learned, right? So um, on Wednesday night, we're doing, uh, we keep saying parenting class, but I, it's, it's more than that. It's not like a class that we're teaching you how to parent. It's more of like, hey, we're in this together. And, you know, let's learn from each other. And, you know, let's take what we've learned from experts and we'll give to you. I guess it is a class, but I don't know. I think it's more than that, right? Yeah. All right. So one thing we talked about, we talked about this term, and it really is the foundation of, of parenting, uh, transitional generation parents. Transitional means that you're, you're going one way, and all of a sudden you transition to go a different way. And what that looks like in the parent realm is taking those things that our parents did and saying, you know, we're not going to do that with our kids. We're going to do something different. We're going to change things. And so that term is, uh, I feel like, God's grace to us, that we can make a difference. So, because here's the deal, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus, I mean, Exodus 34, verse 6. It says this, um, as Moses is coming down the mountain with the tablets, uh, it said, uh, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in his faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yep, that's the God that we serve, right? It's amazing. I love that. But then there's a yet. He does not leave the guilty children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. It's like good news, bad news. I, I read that scripture, and I think two things. One, scares the crap out of me. Scares the crap out of me because I now know that I can affect my child, my great-grandchild, and my grandchildren because of the actions that I make. You know, the, the, the things I make in my own life that I think like are my business, it's not my business. It's going to affect my children. So, and the second thing is, it makes me look back at my own family issues. It makes me look back at you know, what did my parents do? How did my parents raise me? And again, we're not going to be punished for every little sin our parents do, which that's good for us parents because it's like, whew. Um, but we will, but our kids will be influenced and challenged by them. And it will make a difference. So what are some of these things? What do they look like? Simple things. TB, how, how if you look back, how was, how was conflict in your home? Like, like, how was it processed? How, how were your parents, how did they deal with conflict? How did you deal with conflict? Um, were your parents warm and affectionate? You know, and that's relative because, I mean, warm and affectionate can be different in every single home, right? So how was that? How that affect how you parent? Um, did your parents fight in front of you, right? They all fight. I remember my parents fought in front of me, too. Um, they tried their best not to, uh, but they did, and it happened. 
but was there resolution in their fighting? Did you see them make up? I mean, do you see them like normally make up? Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Make up. All right. Um, was patience practiced in your home? Was patience practiced? What, what, did you have a parent that like would like lose it at the smallest you know chance of you doing something? Um, you know, for my dad, uh, I can look back and you know I want to start off saying I love my family. My family I come from a nice, loving home. They did love each other, but of course, nothing. No one's perfect. But my dad, he had this coach's heart, and although that's a good thing, it can come across as a bad thing because in my life, in everything that I did. Like whether it's working with tools, working on cars, um, sports, my dad always had something to say. So whenever I'd make something, it's like, oh, that was great, son, but hey, you could do this better next time. Do that better next time. And that's good. And you know, a lot of that stuff, it was his wheelhouse, and I, I got it. I understood, and I learned from it, and it was great. But in high school, I took drama, and I started, uh, started acting. I started writing scripts. I started really getting involved in that. And, I, and at the end of the year, we had this play where I acted in it. My dad came. My dad's like, that's wonderful. But hey, maybe next time you should do it this way. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You don't have an acting bone in your body. You've maybe say, seen a couple movies, if that. But like, that hurt. And, and it bothered me. Um, and the funny thing is, I can do that with my own kids. I can do that badly with the youth kid. Like, it, it comes across in me. Where I just want to help, but it can come across like I'm a know-it-all, or I don't care, and I get this feeling nothing will ever be good enough. So that's a little bit of me. But the good news is, whatever it is, whatever that thing that you're thinking of about your parents, grandparent, or whoever took care of you, we don't have to accept it. We don't have to accept that that's what we're going to do. Like, I don't have to accept that that's the kind of person I'm going to be, that I'm just going to listen and watch my kids enjoy the things that I know nothing about. That's why I hope my son plays soccer, because I know nothing about that shit. Um, anyways, but, uh, yeah, so we could take those things where we felt maybe our parents weren't the healthiest, healthiest role models and change it and not accept it and move forward. Because the truth is, two things are going to happen. We're either going to recover from it or we're going to repeat it. And that's where that whole thing from the third and the fourth generation, because if we don't recover, it will be repeated, 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 repeated. It's not like we're being punished for it. It just, it happens. That's what sin does. It corrupts and continues. Um, and it could be like how, we, like how we do things at home. Like, do we have an improper self-image things about us? I mean, like, or, like physically or even just mentally, like, you know, how many times... You know, can we be at home and say, oh, well, we're stupid, we're stupid. And soon enough, our kids are going to think, well, we're stupid. We're stupid. It could be, do we say lies in front of our kid? Because chances are our kids are going to lie, right? Um, alcoholism, that's a big one. If alcohol, if, if you know that alcohol, if you have alcoholics on both sides of your family, chances are you could be an alcoholic. So why risk it? Why risk it? Because either we're going to recover or repeat. And again, I mean, the Bible is clear that there are consequences for sin. And that's just how it is. Um, but, but we have a God 
like I said in the beginning, and full of mercy and full of grace. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here. God offers healing for us. He offers change for us, and not just for us, but for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great-grandchildren. That's the God we serve. He says, yep, that's a horrible situation, but I got this. It could be fixed. And again, it's not going to happen easy. It's not going to happen quick, which is you know, kind of the bummer. But how do we overcome negative family problems? How do we change it? The first thing is this. Number one, to being broken, admit your own brokenness. Admit your own brokenness. Like with anything, we have to face the fact that we are broken people, that we are messed up, sinful, broken people, and take that brokenness and give it to God because he wants to fix it. Like me, like I said, my dad, and like my kids now, if something breaks, fix it. Help me fix it. They bring those things to me to fix it. Of course, my kids demolish things, and it's like I can't fix it, but, but God can take anything no matter what family patterns, no matter what family history, and change and fix it. Awareness helps, helps us to look to our past. How many of you guys have ever been in a conflict and then later on you look back and you're like, man, why did I say that? Or why did I react the way that I did? It's like looking back to our past provides that clarity, provides that, that moment to know like, oh yeah, I, I messed up and I need to change. And I know when I say brokenness, I know it doesn't create this great image. For me, it creates this, this person of, of well, when I think of brokenness, I think of weakness. And weakness is not something I want to be or even admit. Because when I think of weakness, I see a shriveling, broken, crying. And I'm not talking about the pretty crying. I'm talking about the nasty crying where it's like snot and all that kind of stuff coming out. Just broken, weak person on the ground. I don't want to be that. The truth is, that's not true. The truth is we have to flip the script. We have to see our brokenness as a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Strength, not weakness. It's when we are completely broken of ego, <laughs> then God can move, then God can change, then God can rearrange. Um, so <clears throat> the next morning, my dad's getting ready for work. He's making his coffee. He's getting his things together, and he hears me moaning from my room. He walks into my room to check on me, and I'm moaning. I'm asleep, barely. And I, he lifts up the blanket, and my leg is black and blue and swollen. I'm like, Dad's got it. He knows. Uh-oh. Grabs me, calls off of work, takes me to the doctor's office. And we're in the doctor's office. We get the x-rays, and the doctor comes in. like, well, Mr. Jones, <laughs> Congratulations, your son's leg is broken. 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 And so the doctor goes on to say, look, we're, it's going to be painful. We're going to have to rearrange his leg because obviously he's not done growing. And, and so we're going to have to move things and do things. And plus, getting the cast on is going to hurt. So they drug me up. And so I'm, I can remember sitting there, and they rearranged my leg. And I remember sitting there, and I wake up to that rough, sandpaper feeling of my dad's hand just stroking my head back and forth. I open my eyes and I see that man sobbing, just sobbing, 
Our eyes meet and he starts saying, son, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I, I made you ride your bike home. I didn't know. And I looked at him and be like, I will vow to never do that. <laughs> no. Um, no, I mean, I was drugged up, so I was in a forgiving mood. Um, <laughs> of course, I said, Dad, I am sorry. I am so, it's okay. It's okay, Dad. It's okay. And, 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 uh, and, of course, now we get together, family, and he, that, that story comes up. We laugh about it now. Um, but that man was broken. Full on broken. It was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. And the first time I ever saw how truly strong he was to admit he made a mistake. To admit that. He could have easily said, yeah, you probably broke it when you smacked it into my car. <laughs> That's your fault. But he admitted that mistake. And from there on, he always did. If he made a mistake, he would admit it. There was so much strength in that. And I, I can only hope that I, you know, I pray that I'm the same exact way from him. But he was broken. So what do we admit after, or what do we do after we admit our brokenness? Because we can't stay in our brokenness. Because if we stay in our brokenness, that becomes our identity. And God doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to be a broken person. So we have to get out of it. And it starts with developing the courage to change. Yes, admit you're broken, give it back to God. Right? So you develop, you develop uh, the courage to change. How many, of you guys, how many of you have ever made a rule with your family or with your kids and after like the 500th time of trying to enforce that rule, you're like, ah, no, forget it. It's just not going to work out. Like you give up, right? Or even just even, not even with kids, but you're just making like a life change or, or dieting or, or what, whatever it is. You just get tired. You get scared. And you realize maybe just staying in that place is a lot easier and safer. Parenting is physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining. And so that's where we have to really have the awareness of self-care. Like, I can remember from my wife how before we were married, or not before we were married, but before we had kids, she would wake up in the morning, she would get her perfect little Cinderella cup and put the coffee in there and the perfect equivalence of sugar and cream and she would get that coffee, smell it. Like, it take, like, you know, minutes to smell and enjoy the coffee. And she'd go and sit down in her chair with a nice blankie across and get in her Bible, open up, and be like, I'm going to have this beautiful time with the Lord. And then we have kids, and those days are over. <laughs> that time is gone, right? Now it's, now it's, Mommy, I'm hungry. Oh, really? You want your second breakfast? Yeah, I want my second breakfast. Mommy, I'm hungry. So you're dealing with that, and then they spill second breakfast. Then you have to clean that up. And then, and then maybe you have a kid that is potty trained but needs some help. And so that kid is now in the bathroom, and they're like, oh, I need somebody to wipe me. And then I will stand up and be like, honey, I got this. I'll go. I'll open the door. The kid's like, no, I want mommy. I'm like, well, honey, I tried. So then mom will have to get up, do that. And then mom sits down again, and then the kid's like, hey, I want snacks. And you lose that time because it's just, it's a different time of life. It's a different time. But we have to adjust because the fact of taking care of taking those moments with God or, or taking those moments of, of self-discovery, we can't lose that. It just has to change. 
we have to we have to figure out what does that look like. It could be you taking a long walk around the block, and maybe when you get back to your house, you're like, mm, I'm going to take one more. You take two, or it could be leaving your work, leaving to go to work early, and you sit in your office and you have that time. It could be really devoting yourself to men's and women's groups in the church. It could even be counseling, going to counseling. I know, I know, for a lot of people, including myself, counseling helps. And again, it's one of those things where you look at counseling. Oh, that's weak. It's not weakness. It's strength. It's strength. Whatever helps you to focus to be the best parent you can be, you need to do it. You need to work on your own stuff. Okay. Number three, establish replenishing relationships. Galatians 6, 2 says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This parenting thing is never meant to be by ourselves. We can't be by ourselves. We were never meant to handle heartbreak, sickness, broken relationships. We were never meant to handle those on our own because we are made for community. That is how God created us to be. We're not going to be on our own in heaven. We're going to be in what? Community. And that's one of the goals of this class that we're having, is to have that community, right? So again, if you're a parent, I highly, highly encourage you to go. But in community, there are two types of people. There's VIPs, very inspiring people, and there's VDPs, very draining people. Now, right when I said that, I'm sure someone popped in your head like, mm-hmm, I know that person. Or you're like, mm-hmm, I am that person. Truth is, we're all VDPs, we're all VIPs. Those VDPs that are in your life, those people that are very draining people, they're in your life for a reason. God put those people in your life to minister to because he knows we need to be in community. But the truth is, if we are to be to have those people, because let's be honest, kids are VDPs. They're very draining people, right? Um, we have to have those inspirational people in our lives as well, those people that encourage us, that, that, that strengthen us. I remember when I became a youth pastor, I met with a couple youth pastors in the area, and I knew that I needed to be around them because they were inspiring to me. Whenever I felt like things were, were rough or hard, I would meet with them, and they would just encourage me. Those VIPs, you need to find those relationships in, in your life. And the truth is, you have to be intentional about establishing them because they're not going to come to you. You have to go find them. Look, if we are to be the best that we can be, because the truth is our kids, they're our number one ministry, right? Number one ministry, 100%. The parent is responsible for the spiritual outcome of that child. Not the youth pastor, not a grandparent, the parenting. If our kids are to be the number one ministry in our lives, we have to be at our best. We have to find those relationships. So go out, find those relationships. They will give you strength to make it through. Okay, fourth and final thing. Keep the eternal perspective. Perspective. The goal of a financial planner is to prepare you for the next 30 to 40 years, right? What does money look like for you down the line? Same thing with parenting. We need, we need to have that end goal. What is the end of parenting? I mean, never ends, but what does it look like? Our perseverance or to establish efforts 
to have a legacy of eternity. 2 Corinthians 14.17 says this, sorry, 4.17, says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Perspective. So we had just uh, come back from youth camp a couple weeks ago, and it was probably one of the best youth camps we have ever had. I'm talking from everything from community to having fun to no drama to spiritual time to these kids getting up and praying for each other. It, was, it blew my mind. It was the best in all my years, right? It was so encouraging. However, it was not the best camp for me personally. I was dealing with a lot of stress. I was dealing with a lot of uh, things that I knew when I get home I had to deal with, okay? And so the part of me, and usually I want to leave camp like towards the end because I can only take a snowball to the face before the fake smile disappears, right? But I didn't want to leave camp because I knew what was waiting for me down the hill. I didn't want to go home. And so I drive home, I go home, and uh, I pull into the church parking lot, and I'm starting to unload the bags. And all I hear is, Dada home. My kids are just coming out of church. Dada home. My little one comes up, hugs my leg. My son runs up and gives me a hug, instantly shows his candy that he got in my face. My oldest daughter wraps her arms around my neck, tries to take me down. And my wife, my beautiful wife, is standing there with her arms wide open, and instantly everything was gone. Every worry, every, any anxiety that I had was gone. Perspective. So imagine, imagine when, you, when you die, which is sad. That's the fact of life we're all going to hit there. And people are going to mourn for you. People are going to be sad for you. But you're going to be ecstatic because you're going to be walking up to Jesus saying, you're home. You're home. Perspective. I love that because the truth is, if we, well, if we focus so much on our problems, we lose that end game. We lose what that looks like at the end. Um, now, our struggles aren't going to go away because we have an uh, eternal perspective, but it will, it will have to help us to be focused on the right priorities, right? Number 10 for us here. So what is that right priority? What do we do? Matthew 22, 37. says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. I can remember, I remember when we first found out we were pregnant. And, uh, well, before I had kids, you have this vision of what your kid's going to be. And not, it's not really a vision. It's more of a demand. And you think, like, my kid's going to do this. My kid's not going to do that. And my kid's only going to do this. My kid's only going to eat this. And, you know, that's the way it is. And then I can remember being in that room, that ultrasound room, and for the first time seeing that little flicker of life on the monitor. And the doctor saying, that's the heart. And seeing that life in my wife's womb for the first time, all that stuff went out the window. I didn't care about it anymore. We didn't care about it anymore. And our goal, we said to ourselves, if we're going to win this parent thing, we're going to win this parent game, our goal is that our child will love God and love people. Relationship with God and being kind to others. And if they can do that, those are the two things, and we've won. 
And for every child that's been born since, all three, minutes after they were born, that is what we dedicated, that prayer over them. From their first cry to their last breath, that they will love God and love people. Perspective. Now, Israel, I'm pretty sure my parents didn't do that for me. I'm pretty sure that wasn't their end goal for me when I was born. So I am that transitional generation parent. I do want that to change. That from here on out, that when, when my daughters have their kids, that when my son has his kids, that they will pray that prayer over them, that they will love God and love people. And that is it. Now, there's a flip side to this. Now I get it. It's a bummer. It's a real bummer when you hear that our kids, our kids can suffer from the sins of the past. Or you can suffer from the sins of the past. It's a real bummer. I get it. But there's a flip side to this. And that is you can benefit from the prayers from the third and fourth generation. A couple years ago, probably about five. Now, I come from a family. Uh, my dad's not very religious. My mom was Catholic. And I would go to church with her. But the minute she told me that I didn't have to, I stopped. Said, Don't do that. So, um, and then my grandparents weren't really religious on my dad's side. And, and, uh, and uh, my great-grandfather, whom I knew, from what I remember, wasn't very religious either. And I never met my great-grandmother, Florence Wilmson. She, um, she died actually the year that I was born, before I was born. And uh, so we got, I, my dad got this box from a relative, and it was all her stuff. And I, again, I don't, no one ever really talked to me about her other than her name and kind of what she looked like. But in this box was her life. And I started reading things and, and newspaper clippings and stuff that she was committed to this little church in Red Bluff, California, where she was highly involved in women's leadership uh, with, chil with uh, little kids. She worked with the, like the nursery and stuff. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, I do have this inheritance. I do have this, this thing. And then what really got me is I found this letter, and she is talking about praying, and she's saying, oh, I pray for my kids, which are my grandparents, um, my grandma, and oh, I'm praying for my grandchildren, which is my dad. And then she says, I'm praying for my great-grandchildren, which is me, whom she never met. But I benefited from that. I, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be here today if it wasn't for that prayer that she took time to pray for the fourth, that fourth generation. It skipped, but it hit with me. And so I encourage you, like I said, it, it, it's, yeah, sin's a fact of life, but we can get over it. We can change it, and it can happen today. You can make that change today to pray your family forward to change, right? Amen? Amen. All right, thank you. Wow, that was really good. Pray your family forward. I think that might just be the take-home. Uh, he forgot one thing. The stress at home and the problem that he was dealing with was not Jennifer. Okay? He forgot that. CYA. So it's helping you out. When I left the podium, I said, I don't understand what's going on here. Okay, that's not true. I, I think I do know what was going on when Jesus was saying, you know what? You're going to get married. You're in it for life. There's no, there's no, divorce is not an option. Children are very important. 
family is central and key to the kingdom. And then again at the end he says, but if, you're, if you want to follow me, then you're going to leave your wife. And it, I think we understand that he wasn't being you know, serious about that. He wasn't contradicting himself. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, if you don't deny your family, then you're not worthy of me. It's some very harsh language, right? But I think we kind of get it. What Jesus is communicating to us is, I need to be number one in your life. My relationship with, with you is first, and then your relationship with your family is second, and then your relationship with your career is third. So there is, there's an authority here that he's teaching into and that, he, and that he's speaking into. But I also think in chapter 19, something else is going on. Something deeper is going on than, than, I mean, of course, I believe Jesus is asking us to make him number one. But there's something else that, uh, that is practical that's going to just dovetail in beautifully with Michael's four points on these practical things that we can do. Uh, if you remember when we talked about the eunuchs, again, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your parents. I'm not going to talk about it. But he said, Jesus says, some of you are born in this way. It's like what Lady Gaga believes. Some of you were born this way. Some of you were born eunuchs. Some of you were made into uh, a eunuch. Some of you were, were shaped by the environment or shaped by somebody else. The way that you are today is because of what either somebody poured into you or what somebody did to you is why maybe you're dealing with brokenness. And then Jesus says something that we just need to get today. And some of you... Some of them have chosen the kingdom of heaven. Some of us have been born this way. True statement. But Jesus can change you. Jesus can change you. Remember the little story of the rich young ruler. Like how in the world does that fit family? Because the rich young ruler, he's young for a reason. Jesus is teaching us a story about him. It's in, it's in the minutiae. He's young. He's rich. He was born that way. He's a rich kid. He is cursed. He is dealing with a generational curse that's keeping him from intimacy with Jesus. And that curse is greed. What, 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 what's your curse? Do you know that we all, it's what, what Michael said, it's in, it's in Exodus, and it's in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 takes it up a generation. It's, it's the fourth and fifth generation. We inherit the sins of our father, and it gets passed down to the fourth and fifth generation of our children. What, what, this is, is, are you, is this kind of scary? Like, there is, there is a, a spiritual evil inheritance that you might be dealing with. Again, there could be a generational curse, a family curse. Let's just even over-spiritualize it, and I think it might even be true. There could be assigned to you and your family a demonic spirit to keep your life derailed. I don't know if I believe in that kind of stuff, Pastor Josh. That's kind of weird. Okay, fine. You don't have to believe in it. How about if we just go biological instead? We have our, everybody's got your little DNA, and God created your DNA, and he made you specific. He made you to look the way that you look 
Um, now, I'm going to talk about biology for a second. And I, I am not an expert at this. Like, I got a D minus in biology in college. But from what I understand, with the new work that they're doing in genetics, uh, on your DNA, there's something called epigenetics. And this is the part that affects you. It is, you ready for this? It's a biological inheritance that is outside of your DNA makeup. It's, it, you can get infected by your environment, by information, by your habits. Okay, catch this. Like biologically, let's just say you don't even believe any of this spiritual stuff. What you do in the privacy of your own home will taint your DNA and you'll pass it on to the next generation. It's been proven scientifically. Like alcoholism. Like you've heard of this, right? You know, it's, it's like I was born with alcoholism. Like I, I used to think that that was not true. I think like that's a, that's a, how can that just take responsibility for your life? No, but it's true. Third and fourth generation of alcoholics, you, you, it's going to that epigenetic stuff. It's gonna just it's gonna taint your kid's DNA. It's gonna get on it. It's gonna it's just like sin. It's what sin does. Everybody gets a little blue, even Pastor Josh. But to allow depression to spiral into self-hate to the point where you're having imaginations of suicide, you could have inherited that darkness, that spirit of darkness. You could have inherited it biologically, and you could have inherited it spiritually. Quite possibly, they could be the same thing. I don't know. I don't care. We want you healthy. And this is what I think Jesus is saying when he says you need to if you don't deny your family, you're not worthy of me, I think is what he's saying is you've got to deny your family's dysfunctions. But Jesus is not anti-family. He's anti-generational curses. He's anti-sin in your family. And he wants to set us free from it. Yes, you were born this way. Maybe you were made this way. But you can choose life today. You can rewrite your family history tree. You can actually plant a brand new family tree today. Because Jesus says it. He says, you are a new creation, brand spanking new. And but again, maybe there's some, some other inheritance stuff that you haven't taken care of yet. Let's just kill it off and we continue to walk in the newness of life. We have been made new. Let me get the band and the ushers to come to the front. And as they're on their way up, it's ministry time for everybody. Nobody gets away from this one. Sin has tainted the human race, and Jesus has set us free. Just even think about the DNA strands, their, their chains. Jesus is here to set us free from the bondage of sin and even, yes, the bondage of death so that we may live life and live it to the full. He is here to set us free from spiritual forces of evil. 
generational curses. He's here to heal us physically and biologically, psychologically. Again, you get to, you get to choose your adventure here. Do you want to take the spiritual path or do you want to take the biological path? Choose your adventure. It doesn't really matter because Jesus is going to heal you and things are going to begin to transform today. Let's take the offering. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless this offering. Bless it to its fullest extent, God. And may we just have in our heart the attitude of a man that says, I will give you everything. My life is yours. So bless this offering in the name of Jesus. Now, let's just get back to your, the healing of your heart, the healing of your spirit. Generational curses, these things that get passed on from generation to generation, I want you to think about what yours might be. Is it, a, is it a darkness? Is it a spirit of darkness that makes you think bad thoughts and keeps you in a constant state of depression? Okay, that could be from great-great-great-grandma. And so right now, I want to just encourage you, just forgive her of that. Be released of it. Admit and acknowledge your brokenness, but also put yourself into the new person, the new man, the new woman. And maybe you're a little closer to the generational sin. Maybe it was maybe it was in the house being manifested and fleshed out. Maybe you just need to say, okay, there's the source right there. God, help me to have victory over this. Help me to have victory over the, the alcoholism. Help me to have victory over the anger. Help me to have victory over the dysfunctions. Fill me anew, Lord, right now. And forgive my family for what they've done. Here's the exciting thing, church. These these generational curses that go two, three, four, five generations, you know how they're remedied in the spirit? It's through the confession of sin and repentance, acknowledging your brokenness and, and turning away from it, repenting from it. And you know what the Bible says? This is how good our God is. This is, how, this is why he wants to break our chains so desperately. Because then he's able to bless us. Not two times, three times, four times. But the Bible says a thousand times. A thousand blessings in exchange for two or three curses. What do you say about that one? That's what he wants to impart into our family for all eternity. It's again, it's like Michael says, it's the eternal perspective. What we're pouring into is an eternal perspective. He's going to heal us right now of, of demonic attachments, but he's also calling us into getting the work done, and that might mean that you have to take a class. You join a community. You get, you get help. Heal us, Lord.